0: morning southfield you made it you did it yay we're an hour earlier you are an hour you're you're much better for this you know being up getting early you're on time and we promise to keep the music a little fast this morning just to make sure you stay with us all right would you please stand we are going to sing our hearts out to god today
1: Sing, 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 and make music with the heavens. We will sing, 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 grateful that you hear us when we shout your Sing. Grateful that you hear us when we shout your praise. Lift I thy name of Jesus. What's not to love?
0: Have those verses sometimes that just hit you in a in a season in your life and you just you hold on to them. They're just they're very special. You can just treasure them in your heart. And one of those verses for me is Hebrews twelve twelve. And it says, so take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. And I don't know if you've been waiting for God to move, if you've been listening and and waiting for God to speak and just for him to answer you. And I know that I know that he doesn't answer right away sometimes. And I know that there are times where we feel like, okay, God, you can move right now. You can move, but that's just not in his timing. And so there are a lot of times that we have to wait on God And, um, so that verse is just, we know, we know that he's faithful. We know that he has never left us and he will never leave us, but we also know that it does. It just, it wears us down and we get tired and we just, we know that God will answer, but we also know that there are things that just, just take away our strength. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees as you wait on the Lord. (laughs) you <laughs> you Let's pray. Dear heavenly, faithful father, we thank you, Lord, for never leaving us. We thank you for always answering us, God, whether it's yes, no, or wait. We know, Father, that every prayer that we pray to you is heard. And we know that you listen with love, God. And you wait and you respond to us in the time that you feel is perfect, in the time that is right. And so, Lord, we know, God, as we wait, we become weak. But in that weakness, we are strong because of you. And we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your strength and for your love. And, God, again, as we're in First Corinthians, I pray, Lord, that you would open us up and just do surgery on our hearts and our minds lord god so that we think like you and we act like you and we um, see things the way that you do in your name we pray amen please be seated
2: so let there be no doubt the bible says salvation is by grace through faith alone if you're going to heaven it's because of your relationship with jesus christ having said that if we were a workspace church you would get five points for being here today You'd get a point just for showing up. You'd get a point because of the time change thing. You'd get a point because you showed up in the rain. You would get one more point than the second service because you came early. And you get a point just because I like you. So write that on your card. Uh, It's worthless, but hey, it's fun anyway. It is great to see you this morning. As you walked in, you were handed a folder by a very cheerful greeter. And uh, on the inside of that folder, you always find two things. You find an offering envelope and you find a card in order to uh, respond. There's a place on the back for you to be able to write prayer requests. If there are things that you want to relay to us, relay to the rest of the church so that we can be praying along with you. And there are also some uh, things that we like for you to check off. This little box in the back corner on the right... Um Couple things. We, uh, if you looked at your folder this morning, we're talking about getting people together. If you want to go on Trout Day, do some fishing on, on April 6th. Uh, we want to help you to be able to do that well. Get a little gang of Southfielders out there catching trout like crazy so you can check off Trout Day and we'll contact you about what we'll be doing with that. Also, a couple of serving opportunities if you're interested in uh, perhaps trying your hand at tack, either it's sound or uh, word words We would love to be able to get you involved in that ministry. So if you check that off, we'll be contacting people about that. Some of you checked it last week as well. And then finally, we've been looking for someone that uh, might be interested in playing an electric guitar. It would help if you have experience. Uh, We really like that. But Lorraine keeps wanting to come up and play. And I'm like, Lorraine, you got to learn how to play the guitar first. But anyway, uh, if you have experience in that area, see, we don't know if you do. I mean, some of you, while you're singing, we watch you kind of doing this. And so we, we think maybe you might have some skill, but we don't know. But if that's an area that you might be interested, uh, check that off too. I think it just says guitar or play guitar. Check that and, uh, and we'll have a conversation with you. So... We had some fun starting the service last week, watching some goofy guys using little kid voices in order to talk about driver's ed. We're going back there again today. Different topic, but uh, same same guy and with a little bit of fun. Are you ready? Here we go. Okay, here's your homework.
3: First, me tell you the directions, um, what for... Take away five. One, two, three, four, five, six. Take away. What's six take away one? One. No, you take away, so you take away one out of six, how much does it equal? (laughs) What's... But 10 minus 1. I don't know. 1, Nope. Take away 1. How much is this? 1, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Nope. 1, two, three, four, Five, six, six, seven, eight. eight. And one, eight and one more. And add one more. How many is equal? <laughs> one. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One it equals it makes nine. See how you take away? You take away one and it equals one. <laughs> mhm. Do you get it now? <laughs> yes. <laughs>
2: That is, uh, that's bringing back some of your worst nightmares, isn't it? I mean, you're sitting in a school, you can see that teacher's face, and you, you got sweat on your forehead right now. It's making you crazy. I mean, you go back to the beginning. Go all the way back to when you first learned about numbers. You know, one, two, three. I liked those numbers. They were nice and easy. I can take any of those numbers, add and subtract them, and get it right every time. You know, then they they moved into double digits, and that kind of messed me up. We learned about things like, adding the plus sign and and the minus sign. And you know that, okay, I was doing all right with that and equals. Yeah, I got that. And then you enter, I don't remember which grade it was, but they, they take that plus sign and they, they turn it on its side and they put dots on the minus sign. And I'm like, okay, now, now you're starting to mess with me a little bit. I'm not really liking this as much. Then they take things like the, the letter V and they turn the letter V on its side. And they say things like greater than and less than, and I'm like, okay, I'm kind of getting Getting that And then they take even symbols like that And they mess with those They put little lines underneath them And crosses through them And all this stuff And and I'm just going, stop, stop For, for the love of all that is good in the world Stop I, I get, You know what I want to do at this point as a kid? I want to do what this kid did I want to get off the bus I just wanted nothing to do with math Nothing at all I don't get it in our family I really don't I mean, you can look at your kids sometimes And genetically figure out where things came from. I mean, if one of our kids likes to talk, I get it. If one of our kids likes to write, I get that. But one of our kids is in love with math, and I'm like, you know, Stork, what happened here? I don't understand. Something went wrong. I mean, you know, Shelly's teaching, uh, is student teaching at Joliet Central right now, and she's just loving doing this. And she comes home and pulls out these kids' homework, and she's grading it. And I'm just going don 't even ask, I have no idea what you 're talking about now, all this talk about math, I think what you probably need right now. we need to do our verse together already because it will help us let 's go be on guard, stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong, and do everything with love. You, you need some courage. You need some strength. If you're going to approach this math thing, you got to have it. You really do. Chapter six of First Corinthians. Believe it or not, this all relates. Chapter six of First Corinthians. Paul has a math message. For the Corinthians. It's pretty simple. He's actually in this chapter talking about three different topics. We're going to hit them all today because they all have the same thread running through them. They all have the same basic theme and they all relate to this symbol. Every one of them relates to this symbol. You know what Paul is saying to the Corinthians? You are greater than this. You're better than this. You're better than the things, the things he's going to address in this chapter. He's saying to the people, you're better than this. You're greater than this. You don't have to fall to the lowest common denominator. You see the way I like threw in another math thing in there. That worked really well. I, I learned that one in fourth grade too. But anyway, you're better than this. So, so live up, live up to who you are in Jesus. In a couple moments, as we start digging into this passage, you're going to see a, a reoccurring phrase. It might look a little bit different in each of our Bibles, depending on your version, but it looks something like this. He's going to say, do you not realize or do you not know? Six different times he says, don't you know? Don't you realize? You know what he's saying? You're better than this. Don't you get it? You're greater than this. You can do better. Don't live to that very lowest level. So as I said, there are three topics in this chapter. The first one we'll deal with a little bit more because it's only dealt with in this chapter. The other two chapters are, the other two topics are revived throughout the rest of the book. So we won't spend as much time there today because we will continue to deal with those topics later on down the line. So if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and you start with verse 1, Paul starts and he says, When one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter Instead of talking it instead of taking it to other believers, don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world don 't you realize it 's the first time he 's saying it. don't you know? so what 's the situation here? Kind of an interesting situation in that for some reason, the Corinthians looked a lot like the Americans. The Corinthians like to take people to court. The Corinthians like to threaten to sue people. Now, on Sunday nights, we have a group gathering at our house, trying a little bit different approach. In the past, we would have a, a small group that would meet to talk about a sermon after the sermon was delivered. This group's kind of fun in that we're looking at the chapter, we're looking at the topic beforehand. And as we look at it, the thing I love about that is that there are 20-some perspectives being brought to the table instead of just mine. And so sometimes they'll say something or ask a question that never ever hit me and never would have. And as I'm looking at this passage, it mentioned last week that the Corinthian church is probably somewhere between 30 and 60 people. You know, it's not a huge church. And so one of the people in the question asked this group, how many lawsuits could there have really been going on between 30 to 60 people? How much could have been taking place in that church that people were suing each other? So I dug into a little bit, and one of the things you find is that the only person that would have had the right to take a a, a matter like this to court is a person who owned property. And there weren't a lot of people in the New Testament, in Corinth, who owned property. Only the rich owned property. So it is quite likely that there were not a lot of suits going on. It's it's not as if everybody in the church was suing each other. But think about the context. Let's say there were 30 to 40 people in that church. And one person brought a suit against the other. And we already know something about this church from the first four chapters, don't we? They, they love to take sides. I'm on team Apollos. I'm on, I'm on team Peter. I'm on team Paul. I'm on team Jesus. Now take a lawsuit and throw it into the middle of that room. What do you think happened? It probably looks something like today. Vroom. All the people on this side over here, boom. All the people on the side of this person over here. It would be yet another matter in the church that would cause division. I mean, think about your own family. If your own family has experienced a divorce, what happens as that divorce starts to take place? You just see automatically sides being formed, people going to one person or going to the other. This is what was taking place in the church, that you had these these sides being formed now paul says folks you're better than this you can do so much better than this and he gives a number of reasons why they should not take their matter to a secular court in order to be settled now let me just say a couple things on this you can't use this passage to say nobody should ever go to court that 's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage, really, is that believers should be able to settle their own junk. One of the things Paul 's acknowledging is believers will have junk. We 're human beings, and sometimes we have issues that are tough to settle. But as Christ followers, we should be motivated by forgiveness. We should be motivated by Christian virtue. Hopefully we don't get to the point that we have to take our junk to be settled with someone else. But if we do, Paul says, would you not make your first stop a secular court? Would you actually start try to solve it long before that? And he gives some reasons why. The Corinthians are better better than this, and for that matter, why we are better than this. In verse 2, he says, don't you realize that we believers will judge the world? And since you're going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things among yourself? Don't you realize, again, the second time in 6 that he uses that phrase, that we will judge angels? Some of you are going, oh, no, I did not realize that. That's very interesting. Um, we will, we will judge angels, so you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. You see, that's the point that Paul is making right there. He's saying, folks, you're, you're fighting over things that really just don't matter in the eternal scheme of things. I, I raised a quote for you a couple of weeks ago that's been working on me lately. It goes something like this. We are not human beings on a spiritual journey... We are spiritual beings on a human journey. How that flips our mindset. When you think that you're human with a spattering of spiritual, you'll take one approach to life. But when you realize that your nature is fundamentally spiritual and you're on a human journey right now, it flips our mentality a little bit. The Corinthians thought of themselves on a human journey. And the thing that mattered was stuff. And the thing that mattered was winning. They cared about the little things of this world. And Paul was saying, you are spiritual beings. You're better than this. And part of the point he's raising with them being spiritual beings, and he says, at some point in this universe, you will be involved in judgment alongside Jesus Christ. You'll judge the world with Jesus. You'll judge fallen angels with Jesus. Now, if you are going to be able to settle those kinds of disputes, why in the world can you not solve a dispute with your brother or sister in Christ? He's saying, live up to who you are. Live up to your stature in Jesus. He's going on and he says, if you have a legal dispute about such matters, why go to outside judges Who are not respected by the church. Now, you gotta understand here, Paul is not saying that in some way the court system was corrupt or there was some kind of problem there. He's basically saying you should have a greater respect for people you know who actually follow the Bible, who actually follow biblical principles, as opposed to people who are going to settle the matter from merely a a secular perspective. He says, again, you're better than this. We're greater than this. He says, I'm saying this to shame you. I mean, now he's not holding back. He's just saying, this thing has fallen apart. We're in a real mess here right now. It's really fallen apart. Isn't there anyone at all in the church who is wise enough to decide these issues? So again, he's taking it a step further. He's saying, okay, so maybe you don't buy into the fact that you're larger than this, that you'll judge angels, that that you'll judge the world. But certainly, as you look around the room, there's got to be somebody you spiritually respect. There's got to be someone in the room that you could go to and say, would you help us through this? You may even decide ahead of time. Listen, we will, we will go through some form of uh, binding arbitration here. Whatever this person decides, we'll go along with it. Because sometimes a dispute is tough to resolve. But he's saying, can we not at least resolve this between ourselves as believers? Now, Now, look at the last part. It says... But instead, one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. I think in this part of the verse, we've hit on the core of the whole thing. He says, you know what you're doing? You're dragging the name of Jesus through the mud. You are taking the reputation of Jesus and you are dragging it through the trash. Because what happens when a person who is known as a Christ follower comes to someone else with their problem who's not a Christ follower? They say, hey, you're no better than us. For crying out loud, your your faith is making no difference in your life. Your faith isn't even helping you to resolve this simple matter between two people. And so Paul is extremely, extremely upset about the reputation of Jesus and what's happening to the reputation of Jesus as these people worry about these common things of the world, these things that are so small. He's saying, you're spiritual beings. You're better than this. You're greater than this. So why do you care about something so small? Why does this matter? Now he goes on in the passage in verse 7 to say, even to have such a lawsuit with one another is a defeat for you already. I mean, think about it. Why do you go to court? Well, you go to court to win, don't you? I don't think any of us go to court hoping to lose. Hey, maybe they'll take my money away. This will be great. You go to court because you want to win. And Paul's saying, there isn't even a decision yet. And you've already lost. You've already lost because, because you can't even settle this among yourselves. You're already defeated. And then he takes it a step further. He takes it to a level of Christian virtue. He says, why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourself be cheated? Now, some of you, man, you hear that, and and there's stuff just tingling in your spine right now. You're like, why not? Because it's wrong. And and, I mean, you can just feel it all welling up in you, and you're saying, no, there's no way I'm going to allow this injustice to stand. And then we're reminded of the words of Jesus back in chapter 5 of Matthew when he says, hey, slapped in the cheek, give him the other one. He takes your coat, give him another. He asks you to walk a mile. Walk a second. You see, the person who is willing to be wronged, the person who is willing to be cheated, realizes that there's more to this life than this life. There's more going on in this life than just the stuff of here and now. They realize that the name of Jesus is important and the reputation of Jesus is important. Verse 8 says, Instead, you yourselves are the one uh, who are the ones who do wrong and cheat even your fellow believers. And in this, Paul gives us yet another insight because it's not simply that they were suing each other, but they were defrauding each other. They were cheating each other. And Paul says, come on, these, repu- these relationships in the church they're not supposed to be about looking around to see who's got the most cash so that we can go do a slip and fall on their sidewalk and dig into their pocket. We're not supposed to be trying to cheat each other that way. We're supposed to be treating each other like siblings in the body of Christ. We're supposed to care about each other. Now, Paul in the next verse takes a transition that at first you're kind of going, Paul, where in the world are you going here? What, 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 what's, what's happening here? What are you saying? He says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, he's already talked about wrongdoing. And he said, cheating is wrongdoing. He says, don't you know that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? You look at that verse and you go, well, I might as well go home. Because we've all done wrong. We will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we might as well have just got that extra hour of sleep, right? And we might as well have stayed dry instead of going out in the rain. Paul is not saying that if you've ever sinned, you will not go to heaven. What Paul is saying is that for a believer, it is inconsistent to claim to be a believer and live in a persistent state of rebellion against God. And we really need to take a look at our hearts and a look at our lives if we on one hand can say, I am a Christian, and on the other hand we can choose a pathway of outright rebellion against God and act as if it's okay and act as if it's normal. I mean, Paul in a sense is really saying, don't just take your salvation for granted. Just because you prayed a prayer, don't just take your salvation for granted. What's the fruit of your life? What's really happening in your life? And then he goes on to say, don't fool yourselves. Uh, don't fool yourselves. Or th- don't fool. Don't fool yourselves. Yeah, period. There we go. That's why I'm not seeing the period. Those who indulge in sexual sin. Those who worship idols. Those who commit adultery. Those who are male prostitutes. Those who practice homosexuality, those who are thieves, those who are greedy, those who are drunk, those who are abusive. This is a pretty intense list of sins, right? I mean, for a lot of us, we go, yeah, these are the biggies. Okay? Or those who cheat people. What did he say in the verse before? You're cheating each other. And they're saying, no big deal. And Paul just put it in the list of biggie sins. Paul just said, uh, you don't think it matters? Guess what? It matters. It matters. You're living in a persistent state of rebellion against God because you're cheating your brother or sister. And if you're living that way, you've got to start asking yourself the question, are you really part of the family of God at all? None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, again, just like we saw last week, Paul does not take sin lightly. God does not take sin lightly. And he's saying you really need to check your heart on this. If you're willing to cheat another person just for the sake of getting some earthly gain, you've got to really wonder where in the world you stand in your relationship with God. But then comes verse 11. Do you remember verse 11? We looked at it last week. Some of you were once like that. Again, Paul's calling to their nature. He's saying, you're greater than this. You're not what you used to be. Some of you were you were once like that, but you were cleansed. Another way to say it, you were washed. You were made holy. Another way to say it, you were sanctified. You were made right with God. Another way to say it, you were justified by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I mean, Paul is making it abundantly clear. He's saying, my goodness, lift up your eyes. Folks, you're greater than this. You're greater than this. You are not merely earthbound beings who are trying to get a little bit ahead of the other person. We're spiritual beatings. We're greater than the stuff around us. We're greater than the world system. And so we need to live in light of that. We're greater than this. We are greater than this. Now, Paul goes on and introduces another topic in the next verse. In the next verse, he says, You say, I am allowed to do anything. Those quote marks are important. You say, I am allowed to do anything. We're not sure the origin of this quote, except we know it's a quote. It's a saying in the church. We're not sure if it's exclusively a saying just in the Corinthian church or if it's a saying among the community of Corinth, or if it is, was a saying that was actually part of the church overall at the time of Paul. But the statement is clear. You say, I am allowed to do anything. If it's a church-based saying, which a lot of people believe it is, what, what people believed was that there was an understanding of, hey, now that I live under grace, there are things I'm allowed to do that I was not allowed to do before. I mean, if you were a good practicing Jew, pork ribs were off your menu. You weren't allowed to eat those. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, under grace, you could stack those ribs nice and high. You could go ahead and eat those things. And so it's believed that perhaps that's where this saying is coming from, that they're, that they're playing to their liberty. They're saying, in Christ, I am allowed to do anything. I have have permission to do anything as long as it has not been forbidden in the Bible. So you think about that for a moment. I mean, there are a lot of things that exist in our world that have not been expressly forbidden in the Bible. And because of that, Paul says, if it's not forbidden in the Bible, you're free. Go ahead. But then Paul throws in a couple of qualifications. He says, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. There came a point in our children's uh, growing up that they no longer had a curfew. They could stay up as late as they wanted to. So my kids are allowed to stay up all night if they want. They can do it. It's up to them. Consequences in their life. They can do whatever they want. So what if my kids decided, fine, I'm just never going to sleep again. There's no rule forbidding it. I'm just going to stay up. Uh, We know what consequences. You're kind of feeling the consequences of just losing an hour last night. If you never slept again because there is no rule against it, well, Paul would say, uh, you're allowed to do everything, but not everything is good for you. I mean, some of us realize that there are things we're allowed to do. You are permitted to go to the drive-up and order a Big Mac. Uh, You could eat ten if you wanted. You could eat 20 if you wanted. There is no forbidding in the Bible of Big Mac. I've looked. But do 10 of those every day for about a year and see what happens to your physical health. All things may be permissible, but all things are not good for you. And then Paul gives another qualification. He says, And even though, in quotes, I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. I've got to be careful that I don't become a slave to anything. Paul lays out two qualifications. He says, okay, you have freedom in Christ. There's no question you have freedom. There are things you are allowed to do, but your freedom has a couple of limitations. One, just because you're allowed to do it, is it good for you? It's funny how those words words run off our lips so easily as parent to child, but we have a hard time hearing them from God the Father to our own childish years. All things are permitted, but not everything is good for us. All things are permitted, but I must not become a slave to anything. Now, there are a handful of sins that we all look at and say, shame on those people for being addicted to X, Y, or Z. How in the world could you have allowed substances to take over your life? Shame on you. Shame on you. And we point the finger. I don't know about you. I mean, I look at my life, and I got a couple of nice little addictions going. One of them is sitting right up here, in fact. this past week i was at green lake spent some time on the conference grounds nobody else there dead silent it's the kind of thing that terrifies a kid a guy like me because i'm there i'm all alone and i'm just waiting for this you know mass murderer to come jumping through the plate window in the middle of the night because no they wouldn't find they wouldn't know I mean, it'd be gone. It'd be, it'd be done. So I'm up there, and one of the features of Green Lake, or lack of features, is an AT&T cell tower. So I take this little machine up there, and I I'm, I'm, might as well use it to hold papers, because that's about what that thing is worth right now. It makes sure that my pages don't blow in the wind. This thing is useless up there. And the first night I'm alone and it's deadly quiet, I can hear the refrigerator cycle on and cycle off and cycle on and cycle off. And I'm just like, I'm going crazy. And there's like this itchy going on in me. And I don't understand why itchy is going on in me. And then I realize why. Well, I haven't been able to check out all my Instagram pictures in about an hour. And I haven't been able to go see, you know, what my friends are doing on Facebook and, and what's been tweeted lately and all. And I'm like, oh my word, I've become one of those people. I, become, I need a group. I, I need, uh, you know, iPhone A. I mean, I just, ah! All things are lawful. But what happens when it becomes an addiction? What happens when you can't walk away from your computer because you got to play one more round of Angry Birds? All things are lawful, but they're not good for us. All things are lawful, but if they're addictive... It's a problem. And you know the problem with addiction? We don't know it until we're in it. Uh, did, you, did you really think you were going to get addicted to angry birds? You know, oh, that's cute. And now you dream them. Now they're there all the time. They're with you. You know what Paul is saying in all this? Oh, my goodness. He, you know, he goes on to say, you're better than stuff. You're greater than the sum of your desires. Your desires aren't what life is all about. He goes on with that quote, another quote. He says, you say food for the stomach and stomach for the food. Kind of an interesting quote. You know, basically what that was saying, what what the Corinthians were saying is it's it's kind of self-evident. He's saying, hey, you know what? Um, Eating is a natural activity, so eat. I mean, you know, if if my stomach is there, if my stomach is hungry, I'm allowed to eat. My stomach exists for food, so I can go ahead and fill it with food. And they love that saying. And so they go ahead and eat. I kind of like that. Maybe that saying makes sense. Food for the stomach, stomach for the food. Go ahead and eat. He says, this is true. And then he kind of goes on one of his little Paul rambles. But see what they were doing. They were really kind of funny. They were taking a dot over here and they were taking a dot over here. And they were drawing a line to it that really didn't quite make sense in the long run. Because they're saying food for the stomach and stomach for the food. So then they said, hey, I'm a sexual being so I can go do what I want, right? I'm a sexual being, so I can live it up. And remember we talked about that mountain where the temple of Aphrodite was? They're looking up that mountain, and sexual prosti- uh, sacred prostitution is available up there. And they're saying, eh, my body was made for food, and so I eat. My body was made for sex, so I can go get whatever I want, wherever I want, whenever I want to. Food for the stomach, stomach for the food, sexual being made for sex, so I can get whatever I want whenever I want. Paul says you can't say that your bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power just as he raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. I don't think he just randomly throws in the resurrection there. You know what he's saying again? You are greater than this. You know, we live in an era that people think that it's all about sex. Where can I go get some? And Paul's saying, my goodness, don't you get it? You were made by God. You were made for God. One day, your little mound of dirt is going to be raised up, and you are going to be a heavenly being. Why in the world would you think that all you are is a sex machine? Why would you think that that is what life is all about? He says, you are greater than this. And folks, I really believe that the message for us as a church needs to be heard loud and clear. We are greater than this. We don't simply exist to fulfill our natural desires, whatever our natural desires are. Very American thing, isn't it? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of what? anything I want, because I want to be happy. That's what it's all about, right? And so we've bought into, I'm going to do what I need to do in order to be a happy person. And you know what's ironic? God says, I don't care if you're happy or not. You're like, well, wait a second. That's not what some TV guy says. Yeah, he's making a lot of money and he's weird. (laughs) It's not about being happy. It's about being holy. What does he say? You were washed, You were sanctified. That means becoming holy. You were justified. That means you're bought by God. You belong to God. You are made for more than this. So stop living up to the simple package of desires that are found in your human body. Instead, find yourself saying, my ultimate desire, my main desire, is a closer connection with God. That's what life is all about. All right, so this morning... We're wandering around, and um, we couldn't find the cord to the clock. I was kind of hopeful we wouldn't find it, because I could just keep going. But uh, we did find the cord to the clock, and it's 9.45, which is when I'm supposed to end. But I have another page, and I will resist my desires. So read fast. So you you got that, and then 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 you got that. And I think that's pretty much where it ends. Don't you wish sermons went like that all the time. All right. Let's pray. We're greater than this, God, but we don't act like it. We were bought with a price, but we don't act like it. We are children of God, but we don't act like it. You made us for something so much more than just the junk of this world. But we don't act like it. We, we're great accumulators. And we're great defenders of our rights. And we got all that going. But, but you're saying, folks, you're greater than this. I pray that we would start to live up to our greatness. That we would start to realize it would be better to be wronged than to do wrong to someone else. It would, it would be better to not enjoy the thing I might enjoy than to enjoy it and find myself under the control of it. Because the only thing that's supposed to control us is your spirit. And so, God, today I pray that you will help us to be greater. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we started a kind of a new tradition one that will last for at least a few more weeks, I promise. Communion tray is coming around to you. And that tray, there's cups around the side, cups of, of juice that we get the chance to drink and be reminded of the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. Again, we're, we're greater than this. We were bought with a price. And in the middle of that tray is bread. Bread to remind us that, that his whole body, just like a whole loaf of bread, was taken and broken and crushed. And we get the chance to participate in eating that bread together. Communion is intended to be a beautiful symbol. And so we're trying to enrich the symbolism in this way. When the tray comes to you, take the piece of bread from the middle and immediately put it in your mouth. And by doing so, what you're symbolizing is the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. The individual relationship that you have with God through Jesus Christ. But then when you take the cup, would you take the cup and just hold it? And and we're going to take the cup and drink it together, all together at the same time at the end of our time of meditation. And we're doing that not just to symbolize the individual relationship we have with God, but the relationship that we have with God as a family and the relationship that we have with each other. So when when the tray comes, take the bread immediately and then go ahead and hold the cup and we'll take it together. Lord Jesus, I can't think of a different word right now than grateful. I'm simply grateful. We are all grateful for the sacrifice you made for our sins so that we can be greater than this. We can be greater than the junk of this world. We know stuff is just stuff. We are spiritual beings bound for a heavenly place. Citizens of heaven and not of earth. God, I pray that you will help us to live like that every day. As we we walk out of here this week, I pray that again and again and again we would hear that message of Paul ringing in our ears. You are greater than this. You are greater than this. In Jesus' name, amen. Our servers will come right now and receive the offering. You can go ahead and and put your... uh, Card in there as well as your offering at this time, and have just a couple of reminders for you as we head on our way. Um, one of the questions you may have on the on the first announcement today, the one about the trout fishing, one of the things that we're going to do that'll hopefully help you a bit is hold a little hour-long seminar over at the uh, warehouse. To show you the kind of tackle you need and whatever. Sometimes you show up. If you're going to go up five in the morning, it's kind of dark at five in the morning. So it's nice to know what you're doing ahead of time. So who knows? Maybe you've always been wanting to take your kid to go have some fun fishing. By the way, trout fishing, in this case at least, isn't with a fly and all that. You know, this isn't a river runs through it. This is going to be a lot more like uh, the schlumps on the page. But anyway, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll have a good time together nonetheless. But the last thing I want to remind you of, again, is just that Easter is on its way on its way. We're just a, a few weeks away, and I want you to continue to be praying about and thinking about, person you might invite along for that day of celebration, so we get the chance to uh, worship and celebrate our risen Lord together. Why don't you stand up, and we are going to sing, get that blood flowing again, get some energy before we get on with our day.
0: We're going to sing hallelujah. Sing it out. Extra hour of light today, and we'll see you next Sunday.